I'm Rocky Steinmetz, and I'm getting baptized today. Uh, tell me, why do you want to get baptized? Um, for me, it's been something that I've wanted to do. Couldn't have come at a more important time in my life, really. Um, and, you know, getting more familiarized with Bible verses and everything like that. And, uh, um, you know, reading that, you know, Jesus says, the way to my father is through me, and that that's uh, John 14 6. We yeah. talked about that. Right. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right. No one comes to the father except through me. So, Jesus is because that's right. You mentioned your grandma, what was her name? Betty Steinman. Betty Steinman, in case any yeah. of you remember her. Why don't you tell me a little bit of your story about how you uh, maybe just tell the people at home how, <laughs> how you got here, how you got from whatever was going on in your life to being at Memorial to God leading you to to commit your life to and be baptized. Just start talking about that story. Okay. I wasn't uh, as involved in the church as, you know, my grandmother would have liked probably. I mean, I, I was somewhat distant from it, but it was, it was important to me. Um, becoming a father and, you know, seeing uh, how important Jesus was in my life and knowing that that came from my grandmother was important for me to teach my child that. And, um, I kind of life was chaos at that point in time too. Um, relationships failing, and uh, and at that point in time, I was like, we, we need God in this home. Things got chaotic, and, and things went off course a few more times, and uh, um, and I found myself on Father's Day here with my daughter Anderson. Um, and then that's when, you know, things really that was like three or four years ago. Right? Uh, it was uh, June 16th of 2019. Okay. And yeah. then you had some, some things happen. You got arrested. And then and talk to me about that story. Yeah, I was, I, I was arrested, was, was kind of going through a failing relationship and, um, uh, fighting for child custody issues and felt like it was the worst kind of possible crime that, that, that I would I would rather have been accused of murder I would rather have been accused of any other thing than that um, and within that it, it was a scary scary process because I was locked away thrown it's almost like I thought they they didn't have a key anymore and I was uh, gonna sit there for a long 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 time uh, I knew that the first thing I needed was I needed the Bible. Started reading through that right off the bat. It's one of the ways God, in all this yeah. hard situation, God kept showing yeah. you that He was with right. you. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then I remember you had mentioned uh, when you got out of jail, then sure. um, there's some people that kind of spoke encouragement to your life. But then, mm -hmm. how did you how did you end up get connected here? Would it have God do that? Um, the first thing I did was, uh, yeah, I, I went out and, you know, and had to find normalcy in life and work was there. And so I went, I went and worked and, you know, it was everything that I'd ever dreamed about. And when it came to reality, it really meant no importance to me anyway. What was important to me was my relationship with Jesus, my child, everything like that. Um, but through traveling the country, I was watching, you know, I mean, COVID times were happening and worked into my favor because I was driving, you know, crisscrossing the country and I could watch the, you know, services online. It really turned out it was, it was more of just being involved with the church. And uh, that, that brought me to a morning where I had prepared to get up for church. I was like, gosh, I, I just didn't come, but I, would, I tuned in online and do your message of, of uh, you know, maybe, maybe you don't have a church home or maybe you were looking to get baptized or maybe you were uh, just wanting to make a connection with church. Come down and see us. And it felt like you were talking to me. You mentioned Park Line. Yeah. And, yeah, it was, uh, but it was a good day. Um, we've talked about the gospel and, and who Jesus is. And then three weeks ago, uh, maybe it was four weeks ago, but uh, Sunday uh, during service, you came down and you said, said I'm ready. Right? Talk to me about that. What happened that Sunday? What's going on? I didn't intend to even come up and talk to you that day, but I, I, I had a sense that I was ready. Mm -hmm. I was uh, I was seeing things clearly and, and knew where I wanted to be at. And uh, um, for whatever reason, I, I think I just was like, you know, it's time. And, and, um, and, and I know the way. And I, and, and, and I went up and talked to you. It was, it wasn't prepared or anything. It in, in your brokenness and your trust in Jesus, you basically said, um, Jesus, I trust in you. I know that, that I need to give you my life and I want to follow you. 
how has Christ changed your life? You know, we talked about redemption and all that, but um, what, uh, since you've been giving your life to Christ, what, what do you feel like has changed most recently since, uh, since you've given your life to Christ and been seeking him? You know, I, 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 I see Christ in my life in, in places where I wouldn't have ever um, you know, uh, acknowledged. You know, becoming structured in Christ has taught me, you know, I mean, it's teaching me, you know, you know so much being a better person, better father, better disciple, better, mm-hmm. better, uh, better just all around living. And uh, right now it means everything to me. What would you want to say, Rocky, to someone who's watching this or someone who's sitting, you know, uh, hearing this? What would you want to say if they haven't given their life to Christ, if they haven't been baptized? Is there anything you, you'd want them to know? Um, I think I, I think throughout my life I've kind of ran from, you know, certain things like, like that. And, uh, you know, anxieties, depressions. I've lived through addictions. I've lived through everything. And um, I, I, I didn't get through any of that. You know, by myself, and um, I think that you know, through through Jesus, it was it was the way that I have overcome you know, a lot of you know, huge obstacles. Baptism, man, uh, should get you pumped. I hope you're as excited as I am. Uh, there's so many layers to this story that uh, I wish uh, I wish you guys could have been here when Ethan and Rocky and I sat right there uh, Wednesday and we just talked. We just talked about redemption and we talked about what God has done in His life. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, it's really amazing. And I would encourage you if you're uh, if you're in the uh, Kingdom Hearts Life group, ask him today. He's going to be there, and just ask him. Ask him why Father's Day is going to be important for him next week. That's a big deal. And uh, sorry, that's a big deal, man. Uh, we do baptisms here, and every time we do it, we want to explain it a little bit because it's easy sometimes to let these rituals, like anything that we consistently do, rhythms and rituals in our life, they can grow cold or they can grow stale. And so we want to make sure that we understand what's going on here. Uh, baptisms, like a wedding, it should be a moment that reminds us of something so much deeper than the, the symbol itself, right? And, and most importantly for you watching, um, this, this is somewhat about Rocky. Uh, but it's also about you. And it's somewhat about you, but it's ultimately about King Jesus. And it's, it only actually matters if all of us are in and connected together, right? Um, if this is just about Rocky, then there's just an individual thing that comes and goes. And why should you care? You've got the rest of your life. But if the Bible is what it says it is, and King Jesus is who he says he is, he's a king, and his kingdom come, and his will be done then this matters for you personally. If you go to a wedding and you don't stand up and say, no, I think this wedding stinks, we should cancel it. If you don't do that, then you're affirming that that wedding should happen. You're saying, yes, I'm all about it. I'm all in. In fact, I'm going to commit to continue to grow with you in this marriage because I believe in it. This is exactly what God intended for marriage. This is exactly what God intended for a baptism. When you're witnessing this, when you're watching this, it should remind you of your baptism. Or maybe it should convict you of your lack of baptism, right? And you should say, wow, why, why haven't I done that? What's going on? And this baptism should be something where we're all coming together to say, yes, we have decided to follow Jesus. We are his body. We are his temple. We are unified in the spirit and we're seeking him together. And Rocky and I have already talked that, you know, we didn't, this is a symbol. We didn't put any sin scrubbing soap in here. There's nothing magical here. The deacons didn't come and lay their hands in it and pray and, and put crosses over the face. That's not what happened. This is a symbol the Lord has given us to remind us that King Jesus was crucified buried, laid dead, and he rose again. Amen? Amen. To defeat Satan, sin, and death. And so when we baptize, we're saying, you are dead in Christ, but you are risen with Christ as well. You are a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, right, and that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. That's such an important verse to remember because when they confessed that Jesus is Lord, they were choosing to confess Jesus is Lord over Caesar is Lord. Uh, in modern context, it would say, Jesus is Lord, not money, not my job, not the president, not America, not my ideals, not my family. Jesus is Lord. He is above all, through all and in all. 
And so when we baptize Rocky this one, we're joining together to say, this is as one body. We're affirming this. We're going to walk with Rocky in discipleship. And in a moment, I'll be asking you all a question. I'll be asking if you're committed to walk in discipleship with Rocky as one body. And you'll say, we will, right? Uh, but for now, Rocky, come in. Careful, we keep it yeah. wet. Right, right. Okay. Rocky, what is your profession of faith? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Mm-hmm. And you understand that this is not the end, but this is the beginning of a lifelong pursuit of saying, I'm going to be his disciple. I believe that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, and he's with me always. Yes? You do. And church, you're committed to say, we are going to walk with Rocky. We are one body with him. Whatever happens in his life, whatever goes on, we are going to seek Jesus together as one body. We will. We will. Rocky, then, in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, I baptize you, my brother in Christ. Buried with Christ. Praise to you, life in him. Thank you. Thank you, sir. We'll be celebrating this more uh, after the service. You can come and uh, meet Rocky, and you can uh, uh, hear his story. Um, We'll be celebrating that. Uh, Let's pray, and then we'll worship together. We'll sing a song to thank the Lord for what he's done. God, thank you for this day. Thank you that Rocky's story reminds us of your life, death, and resurrection, that, that, that you are redeeming all things. These stories of redemption that you keep putting in our lives to remind us that you're king. Despite all the addictions and the court cases and all, all the broken things that happen in our world, that you are good, that you are king, and that you're making all things new. Father, we worship you now to say that you are good. How great is our God. Thank you for your love for us. Amen. Good morning. We got, uh, we got a lot going on this morning, a lot to cover, so we are going to, we're going to fly. I'm wearing my lobster shirt, so what, what's happening? You know what I mean? My wife dressed me this morning. That happens about once a year. Here we are. Um, we are in First Chronicles, so First Chronicles 7, First Corinthians 3, huh? And it, how's that for you OCD people who get really confused about those things? You get to do both. So if you mess up turning one right now, we're going to be there. 1 Corinthians, right? Chapter 7, 1 Chronicles. Nope, sorry. 1 Chronicles chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I just did it. It's funny, huh? Hey, if you don't own a Bible, there is a hardback black one in the seats in front of you. You can obtain that. You can read it this morning. And if you don't own a Bible, this is my gift to you, our gift to you. Take it. Take it. Give it away. Read it yourself. Take this Bible home with you, and we're going to do that. We're also going to be in John chapter 2, and we're going to get rolling. Uh, Yeah, Uh, grab a Bible. Let's... Let's cover a few small things, and, and then we'll pray. Um, we, uh, we've been reading through the whole Bible together, yes? And, uh, you know, it it's, it's sometimes can be challenging to have those verses every day to read, and, and we get behind, and then we get overly, like, judgmental of ourselves and think, ah, oh, we've really messed up here. Forget about it. Like, just pick it up wherever you're at, because it turns out God's bigger than your mistakes. That's the whole, whole message here, right? God is bigger. Jesus is everything. And so wherever you're at, just pick it up and start reading with us, right? And we're going to try to catch up every week in the story. We've gone through all so many things with um, what Israel's done. We're going to go back to that here in a minute um, and how God has pulled, uh, continue being pulling people to himself. But right now we're in Solomon, right? We've got a few weeks on Solomon here. Um, Let's just, just yell out loud. Those of you who know, when you think of Solomon, what are a few things you think about? And maybe, maybe not even church answers, just things that you know uh, Solomon is known for. Wisdom. He's a wise guy, right? That's him. Solomon's a wise guy. So we know that about him. What else? Money. That's a good one. We'll talk about that in two weeks. Baby. Baby. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, man. But we'll not say too much about that. But yeah. What else? Wives. Wives. Yeah. Yeah. Son of David. Anything else? He did a big thing. The temple. Thank you. Welcome to Sunday morning temple. We're going to talk about him being a wise guy next week. You're a wise guy, right? He's going to talk about that, that wisdom thing, because that's a big deal. And then two weeks from now, we're going to talk about all the other stuff, the money, the women, just everything hits the fan with Solomon. But for now, we're going to talk about the temple. We, man, let's, let's be real. What is, again, when you think of temple, 
what things come to your mind? It's, it's okay if you have answers that don't feel like they're churchy biblical answers. This whole point. What comes to your mind when you think of temple? Priests. Priests. Blood. Altar. Temple. If you were just to go to a temple, what do you think about? If I said, hey, let's meet me at the temple. Worship. Right. Prayer. Okay. Yeah. Uh, spiritual thingies happen at the temple. Um, in general, all through history, both Christians. <laughs> Newsflash. There are all sorts of temples that aren't, aren't worshiping the Lord Yahweh, right? There are all sorts of temples that aren't worshiping King Jesus. Temple is not a Christian term. Temple is not even just specifically a Yahweh term. There's temples everywhere, right? Uh, if you study history, you're, you're familiar with that. In general, temples are where heaven and earth overlap, where the eternal meets the temporal, where the supernatural meets the natural. There's an intersection. It's cosmic crossroads. Say cosmic cross, crossroad. Yeah, say that 10 times, but not right now, just in your, in, when you're driving home, Cosmic Crossroad, Cosmic Crossroad, right? It's obnoxious. We have this whole span of the Bible where temple is a theme through everything. I mean, everything. I mean, if you just, you just notice, some of you are excited. I said we're going to read from John and 1 Corinthians. And if you notice, we're not getting to the New Testament in the reading plan till October. Huh? Let that sink in. That's how much more Old Testament we got. And right, if we're not getting to the New Testament till October... Ah, but we're reading mostly from the New Testament this morning. Why? Because temple is all over. God has been trying to do this temple thing forever. But if in general, temples where heaven and earth overlap, where everything comes together, there's this understanding that all ancient people knew, all cultures, all histories, aside from the enlightenment, where there's this time where we all kind of got away from that, but now we've been spiking back towards it because we recognize, hey, there is a spiritual world and our arrogance and our hubris made us think that everything was natural. Now, Everyone has some inclination that there's something beyond the physical, right? Um, it brings up all sorts of questions about morality and about love and about poetry and about art, right? In general, ancient people knew and believed there's a transcendent mystery beyond what we see and know. Who has that? transcendent mystery beyond what we see and know. And of course, you came to a Christian church on a Sunday morning, so you're like, duh, that's why we're here. Right? Okay, but it's important that we understand this because when the Bible people say temple or later on when they hear temple, they might not be hearing exactly what we're hearing. They might not have this big injector full of, oh yeah, Christian church, right? They might have a different idea. And so we're trying to look at the broad scheme of it. We understand that there's a transcendent mystery beyond it. A temple is a place. I wish I made a slide for this. Remember this. A temple is the place where you find the one thing that can't fully be explained, but explains everything else. Temple is a place where you find that one thing that can't fully be explained, but explains everything else. It's the ground, the foundation. Well, I, I will do this for fun, sure. Uh, what, what's this piano, right? What's it sitting on? The stand, thank you. And what's the stand on top of? You guys are smart, come on. The carpet, what's the carpet on top of? The stage, right? What's the stage on top of? The gar sure, the foundation. What's the foundation on top of? The rock, right? The ground, maybe? What's the ground on top of? Uh, the earth's mantle and the, the core. The, what's all that on top of? What's, eventually, you get to... You don't have a causal explanation for that. There is an ultimate cause that you're like, it's the ground. It's the, this stuff. I don't need to explain it, dum-dum. Look down here. You see this? It's this. It's all on top of this. I don't need to explain that. And for, save some of the philosophers in the room that want to argue me on that. You know where I'm going with this if you study philosophy anyway. You know this is an argument. This is how it goes. There is an objective or a central causal reality, right? This is what the temple is. The temple is the connection to the one thing that can't fully be explained, but explains everything. It's the ground. That's where you connect. And it's all through scripture. God's always been trying to commune with his people and to create sacred space. Turn to John 2 in your Bibles. We're going to unpack the story backwardsly. Uh, there's some things that happened first uh, that Jesus did. And you might have heard this story where he just... He just does some things that are very surprising to maybe some of the caricatures we want to treat Jesus as. We want to treat Jesus as this gentle, soft-spoken, loving guy who never does anything harsh or rash. He's so gentle and kind and just says, bless you, you're welcome, I love you. And then we have this story where it's just, quarter whip, you know? So, but we'll get there here in a minute. After that, um, Jesus is uh, talking to uh, the religious leaders. They're really upset uh, at him, and he's fired up too. Here's what happens. Jesus answers, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? They're kind of like, 
what? Like, come on, right? I mean, and you build something. If I said, I'm going to destroy this church building, and in three days, we're going to build it back. I'm going to build it back by myself. You'd be like, what are you, what's up, dude? That's, you messed up, right? So this is what Jesus said. He said, destroy this temple. I'll raise them in three days. It took 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus makes two claims here that we're going to unpack that are very deep and important for your life, for my life, for all of our lives. The first thing Jesus says, and it relates to how we understand temples, he says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Jesus is claiming if, if he is the temple, destroy this temple, I am the temple. If he's making that claim, he's saying, I am the ultimate reality. I am the one thing that can't fully be explained, that explains everything. I am the ground. I am the foundation. I am the source. I am the presence of the ultimate, the Lord. To the Jews hearing that, they would immediately caught it, which is, if you, if you read later on, this is one of the reasons they bring up a court to kill him, right? This is, Jesus seals his fate right here. This is how he dies. Like, why did they, how could they get him through court to kill him? You think it's so unjust? This is the moment, man. They bring it up, they're real upset. What's, so, what's the big deal here? Well, temple, again, is a sacred space where things overlap, and they saw the temple as the dwelling place. What was inside the temple? What specifically was inside the temple? The biggest thing? God, right? The, I mean, the, the glory of God. Who's in? Let's, let's do this. If, you, uh, if you've been following in our reading, um, we just finished reading yesterday all of the things that were in the temple, all the special trees and how it was covered in gold, and it was just like so much gold, man. Uh, Nathan's got a number he can shoot at some point about how many, like how much money is of gold, and that was numbers in the 80s, I believe. So just like so much gold. And so it's just this big, beautiful place that's supposed to remind us of Eden, but ultimately God's presence rests there. And if you turn to Second Chronicles 7, here's what's said. It'll be on the screen as well. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, Solomon's praying over the temple, saying, God, this, may this be your house. May you fill it. May you dwell with your people. As soon as he got done praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. They're quoting part of how God defined himself back in Exodus. We did a series on that last year. God's glory was there. It descended, it came, and then here we see it with fire. But if you go back, Mount Sinai, God dwelt there, right? And when he was on Mount Sinai, there was fire, and there was lightning, and there was thunder, and people were afraid. They're like, this is so big. We can't take it in. God's glory is there. You had the tabernacle in Exodus 40. There's all this Eden imagery, and when God filled that place, Moses couldn't go in. It was too powerful. It was too much God there, right? And then we go back to Eden, right? Isaiah 6.3 says, the whole world is filled with the glory of God. That Hebrew word glory, we've talked about it like six times up here, but I'm never going to get tired of talking about it. The word glory is kabod. Say kabod. It means it's heavy. Gosh, we have a similar word. You say, man, I'm sorry, that's so heavy. In fact, some of you, when you're going through stuff, you might hear me use that language. Man, that's so heavy. Because everything has some glory to it, some heaviness to it. It's got some weight, but only God has the ultimate glory. He is the ultimate heaviness. In fact, whatever heaviness is in your life is only heavy because we understand who he is, his goodness, his glory, his beauty, his power. He's it. He's the ultimate kabod. And in the temple, God dwelt and his presence was so powerful. It's fire. All these big, powerful things that we think of. Like we think we control weather patterns and we've sent up weather balloons, man, and we can create rain clouds. Nah, stop. Drop your Western arrogance. Like, you don't control fire, really, because there's all sorts of fires that happen that we don't control. Anyone been a firefighter? Huh? Huh? Looking at you. Like, right? There are fires that happen that you can't control. There are storms that happen that you can't control. You remember a few years ago? Storms came through. Did anyone control that? No. And so these analogies are here to let people know, hold on. God is so big. He's so kabod, so heavy. His glory fills. All we can do is bow down. So you are good. That's it. You are good. You are big. You are powerful. God's glory, his kabod. Moses couldn't even enter. The priest couldn't either. And then Jesus is saying, that's me. I'm containing all of this. John 1, 14. 
few pages or a page before, if you flip back in John 1, John says, and the word became flesh. More on that next week. And he dwelt among us. That Greek word is the same word for tabernacle. It means sacred space. The word became flesh. God, all of the power, the presence, the ever, the kabod of God became flesh. And it sacred spaced amongst us. It dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the ultimate reality. He is the ultimate glory. I'm going to say this a million times. Jesus is everything. Pick a thing in your life. Maybe that's where you need to stop in the sermon. Jesus is everything. Whatever's in your life. And if he's not everything, is he wrong or are you wrong? I love you. You're wrong. Jesus is everything. Maybe you're missing it. Jesus says, I'm the ultimate reality. The second thing he says, he says, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. What was destroyed? When it comes to Jesus, what was destroyed? Him, his body. He was crucified. You remember that? That's the big story. He was crucified. He was hung on the cross. He was destroyed. And it says in verse 21, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. In every temple, you bring a sacrifice you bridge the gap. You've got human priests, animal sacrifices, all sorts of rituals to bridge the gap, to please the deity. This is temples all over, right? This is all religions. You got to do something to please this God. The gap's on you. But Jesus is saying his temple, he himself, it's different than every other temple, that he bridges the gap. Not only is he full, full of glory, full of God himself, he's also the bridge. He's the sacrifice. He's the priest. Jesus is everything. Say Jesus is everything. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 2.24 He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds we'll be healed. If Jesus is the temple, all of the fullness of God, all the glory, what, what could stop that? What could tear it down? Well, our sins. Because that's what separates us from God. Those are the things that broke him, that destroyed him. But it didn't really. Because three days later, he rose from the dead saying, no, 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 I am the bridge. You don't have to come and do things. See, temple, temple is a sacred space, right? Remember, it's, it's the place where you find the one thing that can't fully be explained, but it explains everything else. It's the ground, right? This is it. That's the temple. And Jesus is saying, that's me. And in a temple, you do something to bridge the gap. Jesus says, no, 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 that's all on me. I make all other temples obsolete, meaningless. All other temples, because Jesus is the final temple. Say, Jesus is the final temple. Jesus is the final temple. Jesus is the final temple. Ultimate sacred space on earth. This is part of the whole reason Jesus was so fired up. He gets the cord out, the whip, and he's just like, kush, kush, kush. he's wrecking things, he's flipping tables, he's chasing out animals. Like, he's just a mess, going crazy in the temple. And we read that and we're like, what is going on? And there's so many different points to make in that. Let's just read it. John 2, 14 through 16. Just, just a few verses for what we just read. In the temple, Jesus found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and he overturned their tables. Just imagine this. Where do you go and get to act like this? You ever done so? I mean, come on. Something is filling Jesus. But he is the temple. He's the embodiment of God, right? So he's got to have a reason for doing this. What are you doing, Jesus? This, this is supposed to be the sacred space where we meet the deity and we connect, right? And you're saying you're that and you're just wrecking the place. And Jesus says, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Some translations you might bring say a marketplace. Don't make it a marketplace, a house of trade. Apparently they were selling... They were selling sacrifices, bridges to the Lord, and seemingly doing it in a corrupt way because in Matthew, Jesus calls it a den of robbers, a den of thieves. And there's a tension here. It says, a house of trade, a market. Listen, you love that system. I love that system. At our heart, we want that system. We do it. We control it. We have the transaction to appease the deity. We connect to how we want, what we want, when we want. We control the relationship. In fact, we get to judge ourselves and we can judge other people because that transaction, that marketplace, we can decide. Have you paid your dues? We pay. 
The whole idea of that is you pay and you get something. Welcome to the Western world. This is America. This is your life. You pay, you get something. This is why you say what? You got to pay to, you go pay to play, right? Like you say, work harder, do yourself, pay your dues. This is our under, these are mantra. Work, 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 pursuit of happiness. You got to do it. You do something and you get rewarded. You get it in return. This is life. This is the way we're raised. This is what we understand. You pay and you do something. We do good works. We post our verses on Facebook. We go to church services. We buy the latest devotionals. We control this transactional relationship with the divine, with the ultimate. We get something. We get blessings, the good life. We feel good about checking off our spiritual thingies. Come on, walk into this with me because you know it's true. You know you struggle with it. How have you evaluated yourself this last week? If I said, how's your spiritual life this week? You'd say, hmm, did I, did I, did I? And you've got your standard. That's it. What is it? What is it? It's a transactional relationship. And Jesus says, you are not to make my father's house into a house of trade. In this system that evil has twisted in all temples, including the temple of Yahweh, when evil's twisted that in this system, the Lord is nothing more than a boss or client. Hear me. In that system, the Lord is nothing more than your boss or your client. Maybe in some cases, your employer, depending on, or your employee, depending on how you approach it. In the business of your soul's lifelong rat race, you have this transactional marketplace relationship with God. I do this, and he gives me this. I've been a good person. David, I've done these good things. I've been praying about it. Why is grandma still sick? Why am I still an addict? I've been doing all the right things. As if you control God. As if you have the power. As if you can do the right things and turn the Father's house into a market. Jesus said, there's no distinction here, right? There's, there's, it's not both. It's one or the other. This is either my father's house or it's a marketplace. And you can't possibly have a relationship with a loving father if your only understanding of him is an employee, a boss, a client, a transactional relationship where you do you and then he responds. This mechanical and market trade relationship is ultimately about power and fear. Right? It's ultimately about never fully knowing where we stand. The father relationship with the Lord disappears. And we're just like, man, I got to do more. I got to be more. I got to try. Got to go. And church, this is a message for us. Do we play into this narrative? Do we, do we live lives as if like, man, we got we to gotta transact with God. Like going to the bank. That's my relationship with the Lord. And Jesus says, my father's house is not a marketplace. So much so that it makes him do this very strange thing that everyone's constantly trying to interpret and understand. He's flipping tables. He's chasing people out. He's gotten away. Do you get to go to the White House and make a whip and drive people out? No, that'd be ridiculous. No one would do that. In fact, when people did that sort of thing, it hit national news and everyone's still trying to figure out what you should do about it because it was a ridiculous day, right? And the same sort of things are happening here. But Jesus this is God, the body of God. And he's driving these people out. He's saying, no, you can't have a transactional relationship. This is exactly why the Proverbs said, we read it this week, Proverbs 15, 8, the sacrifices of the wicked is detestable to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. God wants your heart. We can look at all sorts of scripture about, they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Isaiah quoted, Jesus quoted, we could work through all that. But when we put ourselves at the center, we say, this is a power relationship with God in which he's, he's my boss, he's my client, he's my employee, and I've got to do something so that he responds. We go back and forth. I attend church enough. I do enough book reading. I do enough Bible recap, whatever it is. Jesus starts flipping the tables. And I hope as you hear this, Jesus is flipping the tables in your mind, man. I hope you're hearing this just like I do. And you start thinking, man, where am I trying to make the verdict on myself? Where am I trying to measure up myself? Where am I trying to say, I've got this trend. I control God. That's the heart of this. You could be like God. You could decide good from evil. Always comes back to that. This is what all other temples have been about. You, you, you. All of the religions. All of the religions say, you do this so that the deity will do this. Pick your religion. Hinduism, Mormonism, Greek gods, uh, Norse mythology. I met someone recently. Like, I'm really into Norse mythology, man. But whatever. Pick your religion. You got to go to the temple. Go to the sacred space. Go to that place where it overlaps and do your thing. Do your thing so that that God will be happy with you. And Jesus says, no, I am everything. You got nothing. In fact, Jesus goes far to say later on, apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says that he is the temple. 
And his main command to us, the first part of his big command, you remember the greatest command Jesus said? To love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love others as yourself. We can't possibly love if it's all about transactions. Because if you treat God this way, I promise you, your understanding of love is warped and you treat others that way. It's all transactional. Your marriage is a transaction. Hear me, your marriage is a transaction. Your marriage is a transaction. You do you, so they do them, and they do them, so they do you, and then you get what you want. Your parenting is a transaction. This is free. This isn't in my notes, right? It's all a transaction. You see the world as I do, and then I get. That's how it works. That is not the gospel. If it is, then we're all, we're all done. That's it. We got nothing to live for. Go home and be depressed because there's nothing. Because you know you can't do it. You can't be a good enough mom. You can't be a good enough dad. You can't pick, pick your thing. You can't be enough employee. You can't be a good enough elderly person in the church. You can, whatever it is. You can't do it. Jesus is everything. And so Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. All have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is when Jesus, this is what Jesus is saying. Paul has this in mind. Jesus says, I am the temple. Jesus is the temple, the priest, the sacrifice. He bridges the gap. Jesus is everything. When we see Jesus as the final temple, as everything then we can fully accept his love. We can fully acknowledge what he's done for us. And for God so loved the world, we could see that, man, from the crux, he wants a loving relationship with me. He's trying to commune with me. He wants that relationship with me. And then all of a sudden we can set freely, man, I, I want to follow you. And then we see the world differently. Then we can actually love other people. Then we can actually understand what love even is, that his love controls us. We can't stop there. I want so bad to end the message right there. We got, we got to keep going because we might accidentally think this is all just about me personally. This is all just about me and my personal relationship with Jesus. And he died and rose again just for me. But there's this weird thing that happens with the New Testament writers where they keep using this word temple that's really uncomfortable. This is where we get a whole, all understanding from church. If you want to look to uh, 1 Corinthians, we'll be in uh, chapter 3 and chapter 6 as we begin to wind down here. Uh, or maybe we begin to begin to wind down. We'll see. Uh, welcome to Corinth. Corinth is a mess. My goodness. I could talk for a long time about what a mess Corinth was, but we don't have time for that. Just know that it's a mess. It's a train wreck. And it should be encouraging to us as we read it because you're like, man, these people have their train wreck and my life has my train wreck. And our church sometimes has, I mean, just my goodness, there's all sorts of mess everywhere. Corinth was such a, a lousy place to some degree that there were people who would use the term a Corinthian as a slang term for someone who is loose living. We have words like that in our culture. I can't say them on stage because your kids shouldn't repeat them, but you understand. You say, oh, that's just being a Corinthian. And it's like, whoa, that's just a very loose person, right? That's, not, that's what they would say. This is Corinth, right? This is where they're at. And at the start of 1 Corinthians, you see Paul having this discussion with them about how they are ignorant and they are immature and they don't even, they can't eat meat, they got to drink milk. He's just going on and on about this. And he says, you have this silly dispute where you're lessening each other, lifting each other up or squashing each other, saying, I'm of Paul. Well, I'm of Apollos. Well, I'm of Cephas. Maybe those words don't mean anything to you, but it's more like, oh, well, I, uh, I listen to Pastor David. No, no, no. I listen to Pastor Josh. No, no, no. I just listen to Matt Chandler. No, no, no. I listen to Francis Chan. No, I'm a John Piper guy. No, are you kidding me? I'm a Tim Mackey guy. Pick your guy. And everyone's arguing like, I'm better than you because I've listened to the lobster philosophy guy. I've really arrived because I know stuff, whatever it is, right? You lift yourself up. And Paul's saying, that's dumb. And what's his response? First Corinthians chapter three, verse 16. He could say so much. Just catch this. Paul could say so many things to that. Like, why don't you just love each other? Or, hey, why don't we all get along? All you need is love. No, what does Paul say? Do you not know that you are, say it, God's temple? What? Hold on. No, we'll keep going. Do you not know that you are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in you? The sacred space is in you. You're God's temple. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. This word you is y'all. Are we y'all people in Missouri? I can never tell. Who's a y'all person? Raise your hand if you like to say y'all. Yeah, say y'all. 
We're going to read this the way it's actually written. Do y'all not know that y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in y'all? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy y'all for God's temple is holy and y'all are the temple. That's so important because we read that as me, 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 David, 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 saying everybody. You've got all these squabbles. You've got all these stupid things you argue about. Listen, you guys ever have arguments in your family over ridiculous, prideful things? Do we have arguments in our church? Do we tune out on Facebook because these people are dumber than we are or those people haven't really arrived to what we are? I know some of you are above that, but come on. Like we constantly judge and hold people higher or lower. And Paul says, man, if you're a Christian, hold on. Don't you believe you're God's temple? You are the temple. Y'all are the temple. There are temples everywhere in Corinth. Temples you could go and, and sleep with prostitutes. Temples you can go. There's so many temples in Corinth. And Paul says, no, you are God's temple, the holy temple. Remember, temple is the place where you find the one thing that can't fully be explained, but explains everything else. It's sacred space. It's the ground. Paul's saying Jesus is the temple. He is everything. And you all are God's temple. Look around. Everyone in this room, if you're a Christian, we are God's temple. We are holy. That's what that says. Set apart. Utterly significant. Powerful. Because Jesus is the temple. This completely breaks down this idea that church is your pet project. It's your social club. Church is the thing I do. No, no, no. We are sacred space. We've got a thing here that explains church. Here it goes. Church is the gathering of people who worship Jesus and follow him. You want to unpack that Greek word church all day long, you can do it. It has to do an assembly, a gathering. You're not church individually. In fact, here's my phrase. In the New Testament, they would never say, let's go to church. Because that word doesn't mean anything to them like that. Church was a state of being, a gathering of people worshiping together. So you don't go to church. You are the church. You are the church. You are the church or you're not. And Paul's saying the church equals the temple equals sacred space in Christ. And you can shuffle those words all over you want because they all equal each other. It's all the same thing. We are holy. And Paul's saying this problem is all y'all's and you got to fix it. And he doesn't stop there. He goes on in, verse, in chapters 5 and 6 to talk about sexual morality. People are having sex in temple with prostitutes. Uh, they're having sex with their father's wife. It's just awful. It's a mess. And Paul hits hard sexual morality. In fact, he says so far you need to hand them over to Satan. Get them out of your midst. Here's, here's a side note. We don't have time to unpack 1 Corinthians 5. But Paul cares a lot that if there's someone amongst you claiming to be a brother or sister in Christ and they're living in ways that are clearly not Christ-like, then aside from doing all you can to restore them, you need to understand their toxicity and they need to be asked to leave. And that's not a knock on, oh, we need to be grace and loving. That's an understanding that sexual morality is damaging and it crushes people. And the kingdom is a safe place for people. The kingdom is a safe place away from all the victimizations and all the, the corrupt things that happen and all the people that get touched secretly in the bathroom. It's a safe place from that. And so church, when we have sexual morality, we deal with it very seriously. And maybe you've read about the SBC and the big report and all that junk going on. We're going to talk about that in member meetings soon. But our church takes sexual morality seriously. Ask someone about it. We've been dealing with it and we care a lot about it. We're not going to play with that. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But sexual morality, a person sins against his own body. Or do y'all not know that y'all's bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom y'all have from God. Y'all are not your own. Y'all were bought with a price. So glorify God in y'all's body. This is very serious. We deal with sin very seriously because we're all one. If some sin happens in your roof, family, fathers, mothers, if it happens in your roof, you deal with it seriously because you say, this is my house. This is my family. This is the Lord's house. You are the Lord's temple. We can't play lightly with this stuff, guys. This is why, as a church, we came together. If you remember years ago, we did a bread-breaking ceremony. And we said, hey, we're going to take marriage seriously. We know that we've had affairs and we've had dark parts in our past, but we take marriage seriously. Because we're not going to play around with this stuff. Because we are the temple. We are holy because of King Jesus. If King Jesus is the temple, he dies and resurrects. And he says, I will insert into you. I will come into you. I will make my home in you. John 14. And he says he's going to breathe his Holy Spirit into us. He's going to permanently dwell on us. That makes us the temple. This is why Paul can say, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's ruach, his very breath, his power, his embodiment, his glory, his kabod. It's in you. 
We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus left his Holy Spirit. The church is the temple, sacred space in Christ. We should be the first to see sexual morality and the awful and broken stuff around us and take it seriously because we are one. We need each other and we're sacred space. Do we treat each other that way? We're all shared sacred space with each other because of Jesus, for Jesus. It reminds me of when you have a roommate or when you get married and you find out that maybe you you had a best friend and then you were roommates with them and now you don't talk to him anymore, right? Come on, come on, be real. You've had this experience. Uh, Or maybe you like have things that your spouse does that just makes you pull your hair out at night. I could talk about our front room curtains all day long, but I'm actually talking about myself here. Uh, I leave things open. I'm certain this morning when my wife left the house, there were just cabinets and drawers open. I don't realize I do this, but I leave things open. And, and the fact that I work security in my life and I had to lock things, like I was like responsible for locked doors and things being secure, that just doesn't exist in my own home uh, because I'll lock our front door all day long. But everything inside the house, just leave it open. And it drives Nikki bananas. I mean, I just leave peanut butter out with the lid on top. Like Nikki will take pictures of our friends. Well, David made lunch because it's like, <laughs> it is. And I don't mean to be that selfish. But Nikki and I, we share life. We're one. We are sacred space together in Christ. And so we should love each other enough to say, hey, we need to alter all behavior because of the sanctity of the Spirit of God in us and how we live. And, and maybe sometimes that means I love her enough to put the lid on the peanut butter jar. You get it. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. As we close, I want to give you some things to think about to respond to. Do you have a mechanical, transactional relationship with Jesus? Let me be honest. Is God's Spirit moving you? Say, man, I, I do so I get. I get you cookie, you give me cookie. It just goes back and forth. I do this so you do this. It goes back and forth. I'm just having this relationship. It's mechanical. It's transactional. Jesus is flipping tables over, man, makes him very angry because he's the, he bridges the gap. He's the sacrifice, not you. Don't play in that evil temple that says it's all about you. It's not. That'll kill you. That'll corrupt you. That'll lead you to sin. That'll lead you to a never-ending rat race. And then you die and find out, away from me, I never knew you, Jesus said. If that's your life, if that's the only Jesus you've known, maybe you need to give your life to the true Christ today. The Christ that says, I am everything. I bridge the gap. And that doesn't mean you do nothing. That means the power of Christ controls you. His love controls you. Your life is changed because of him, because of his love, not because of you, because of his love. Do you see him as the final temple? Does his love compel and control you? Do you, do we live as we are the temple? We have shared sacred space together in Christ. That's so uncomfortable for us in the West. I mean, come on, you... Some of us don't even know our neighbors anymore. Like, we're so isolated. I hit on this almost every week. But this is life, right? The persecution of evil right now isn't to just kick down your door and shoot you because you're a Christian. It's to make everyone realize that you're stupid, you're ridiculous, everything you believe is dumb. And also, you don't need anybody. Just hide out in your home. All you need is just, you know, maybe a little devotional every now and then, but that's it. You're by yourself. But no, you're the temple. We are the temple. Who in your life asks you? we got a slide for this, man. May this get bold in your face. Who in your life asks you, how's your relationship with Jesus this week? I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Do you have people in your life who love you enough to do that? If you don't, look at me. I know it's going long. You're hot. You're ready to go. Listen, if you don't have someone in your life that asks you every week, how is your relationship with Jesus Christ going? Then it's both on you and on them. Be that person this week. Whoever God's putting in your mind right now, poof, may the spirit move. Whoever God's putting in your mind, text them this week, call them and say, hey, I love you. How is your relationship with Jesus this week? Be that example, because I need that. Rocky needs that. Grayson needs that. Tom Tom needs that. We need that because we are his temple. We are his body. We are not a collection of individuals who sit here to gain our own holiness and to bridge the gap ourselves. We are his temple because of Jesus, unified in him. Who in your life asks you that? Lastly, I would just encourage you to be at church. Be here. We can't share space together. We can't be sacred space together if we don't gather, if we're not here. This is why we need you here. 
We do this every few weeks. Look across the room. Find someone's eyes. Say, you need me and I need you in Christ. Go. We need each other. Maybe that's the person you need to text this week. How's your relationship with Jesus going? 1 Corinthians 5, 14, 15, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for their sake died and was raised. The band's going to come forward. We're going to move into a time response. I don't know how you need to respond this morning. But I know for sure all of us need to get away from this transactional relationship, this evil mentality that it's on us, and we've got to do things for God. I know for sure that we need to commune together to be the temple because we are the temple. You don't become, you are, because Jesus is in you. And so live like that. Quit pretending that doesn't matter. Be here. Ask each other, how's your relationship with Christ going? If you're watching from home, man, ask. Say, I need that in my life right now. Please, someone, ask me this week because I can't come to church. I need help. I don't know how you need to respond this morning, but if you need to give your life to the Lord, if you need to join the church, if you just got work to do with God, come pray up here. The whole altar, the staircase, it's open for you just to kneel before God and say, man, I'm opening up to you. I'm sick of the transactions. I need King Jesus to be everything because you are everything. Maybe you need to give your life to the Lord. Maybe despite everything I'm saying and all the fast talk and the bumbling, you just realize, man, this, I need to do work with God. Let's come talk about it. We'll pray. All right? This is your time to respond. I'm going to pray and then we can stand and sing and you can come forward as you need. God, thank you for this time. God, we ask that amongst all the words, all the, all the scripture, all the things that can bear its weight on us, that your spirit would give us clarity, that you would cast out any evil, any distraction, anything that would prevent us from worshiping you, truth for right now, and to respond as you called us to respond. God, we pray that we would believe that you would be transforming our minds, renewing us to believe that we are your temple. We are holy because of Jesus. God, teach us to flee from isolation, to flee from all these things that entangle us, sexual morality, whatever it may be, God. May we be you with you as your temple. Awaken us to that reality, Father, beyond words, beyond anything we can realize. We trust you. Thank you for being everything. We worship you.